All right, we are down to the wire, down to the end of Colossians, getting there. We're going to hopefully make it into the final chapter today and, uh, and, then, and then hopefully finish in a couple weeks. So, uh, well, we will be finished regardless. We will be finished whether we finish or not. So our timer will run out. But, um, okay, let's, uh, let's kind of get an idea of where we're going today. And then we'll do, we'll do a little bit of review. So what we're going to do is we're going to move into chapter 3. And we're going to shoot for verse 18 through, well, we won't make it, but this is our goal, verse 6, okay, uh, through chapter 4, verse 6. And uh, what, we, what we're going to understand, so this is going to get really practical. I know that we said kind of before was more uh, practical implementation of the new life in Christ Jesus. But this is going to get even more practical. So um, last, uh, last week we talked about how all of, the, uh, all of the commands were relational. Do you remember that? So um, God, as God's cho- chosen uh, ones, holy and beloved uh, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bear with one another, forgive one another, right? These are all uh, relational, uh, relational uh, qualities. And so what we're going to see then is he's going he's to talk about those things from 12 to 17. And then beginning in verse 18, what he's going to do is he's going to go through three categories of relationships where these qualities should be, uh, should be seen and practiced. Okay. So, uh, the, the three categories of relationships are the, the husband wife relationship. There's the, uh, parent and child relationship. And then there's the bond servant and master relationship. Uh, and we can, we're going to talk about that. And, and I wanted to save that. I think we will do that next week. I don't think we'll make it this week, but uh, we we can real quickly kind of go. Okay, what is that talking about in terms of uh, in terms of slavery? Is that a is that an endorsement of slavery? Is it not? How do we deal with with the the language uh, in in the letter? And so we are going to get into that. Um, but those are the three uh, those are the three categories of relationships that he's going to cover uh, where this this practically needs to be uh, implemented. So let's do a little bit of a review. Okay, you ready? Deep breath, we're going to review, then we're going to pray, and we're getting into the, uh, the new content. So the, the first chapter, uh, he talks about this is who Christ is, and this is the ministry that I uh, have been given uh, to you on your behalf. Remember, this is we, we are pretty sure that the author is Paul, but it's not one of those uh, 100% uh, facts for us. There's, there's uh, thought that it may be someone writing on his behalf, maybe even after his death, but this is a letter that was... Uh, if it is Paul, was written very, very, very late in his life or uh, on his behalf after his death. Anyway, it's, it's a generic book. It's not uh, specifically uh, to uh, a church at Colossae that we, that we know of. This is more of uh, a general uh, book that was thought to be widely circulated or letter that was thought to be widely uh, circulated. And we don't actually know much about Colossae because there was a... Come on, were you listening? An earthquake, right? There was an earthquake uh, that destroyed a lot of archaeological evidence uh, for us to kind of be able to understand uh, what this church was. And so we really don't know hardly anything um, about, the, uh, about the church. We know that they were, uh, that they were struggling with, uh, with deception. We know that they were struggling with kind of their, their current culture. Um, the, the Judaizers of the day saying that to be a believer, you had to, uh, you had to follow the law. You had to participate in circumcision. You kind of had the, uh, the Greco Roman philosophy that was putting a lot of, uh, a lot of pressure on the church. And, uh, and so Paul or whoever this is writing on behalf of Paul, the writer will just say, uh, is 
He gives them a very, very, very detailed uh, Christology at the very beginning. This is who Christ is. And then says, this is who you're, this is who you're to build your, your life around. This is your defense. Living in Christ, holding to uh, who he is. This is how you're going to resist the, uh, the, the philosophy and temptation uh, of, of the day. He emphasizes community and togetherness um, as, a, as a means of defense as well. And then in chapter 2, uh, he's going to talk about those dis- different deceptions, but he's going to tell us, he's going to reiterate over and over, this is what you have in Christ. So this is who Christ is, right? And, and it, seriously, go back and read, uh, as we're studying this, it's good probably for you to read this whole book uh, once a week, just so you kind of keep understanding the, the context of it. But he says, this is who Christ is in chapter 1, and in chapter 2 he says, this is uh, what is in him, and this is what is yours, because you are in him. Uh, and then he's going to go into chapter 3, and he's going to begin chapter 3 with, if you have been raised with Christ. So if that is your condition, if you are a believer, if you've been raised with Christ, then, then he's going to start talking about lifestyle. He's going to say, seek the things that are above. We talked about seeking first the kingdom um, and set your mind on things that are, that are above because you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And then he's going to start saying, okay, and this is what you're supposed to put away. Because you are Christ's, because you've been raised with him, this is your, what you're to put away. So he begins in verse 5 of chapter 3. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And then he goes through a list. And then he'll have another list. Don't lie. Uh, seeing as you put on the, the old self, there would be no malice, no slander, no obscene talk from your mouth. Right? He, he goes through this list of the things that, that were not to be, that were not to do. And then he transitions. So those are the, the uh, put-aways and the do-nots from 12... To, I'm sorry, from 5 to 11. And then in verse 12, he starts with, okay, then this is what you are supposed to put on. And this is what you're to clothe yourself with. We talked about this in the, in the guys' uh, small group on Monday night. I don't know, if, ladies, if you got to it or not or if this came up. But uh, we thought it was very interesting that the, uh, the word that he used was put on. Uh, and, and what it brought to mind was, was clothing. So... It's a clothing yourself with an an immersion uh, in the things of God. Humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, right? And if you have a complaint, forgiving each other. And these are the things that were relational, right? So evidence of new life in Christ is displayed in how we relate to one another. You guys tracking with me? We okay? So it's it's how you relate to one another. That there are certain qualities that ought to be apparent in the body of Christ that, that, that we ought to be able to see. We ought to be able to see and understand that there's humility uh, when approaching one another. We ought to know that there's forgiveness when there's a complaint against one another. We talked about tension in the, in the church, tension between one another, that, one, that the tension isn't bad, but it's how do we deal with that tension. And it's, there's forgiveness and there's, there's harmony in the body of Christ. And that harmony is produced by what? The putting on of love, which binds everything together uh, in perfect harmony. And we talked about how love um, is the what? You remember? Love is what in the kingdom? Oh, man, I got you there. Come on, come on. Here's what's awesome. I have the wrong notes open. <laughs> what what is love? Yeah, it's a it binds everything together. So here you can cheat a little bit. It's a binding agent in the kingdom. So what does love bind us to? While I find my notes, 
Okay, it, it binds us to one another. That's good. Love is relational and it binds us to one another. There, there's love that exists in friendship. What else does love bind us to? God, good. You could just throw one of those Trinity people out there, you know, and, and probably be right, right? Love, love binds us to the Lord. He first loved us and then calls us to love him as well. Love binds us to God. It is that strong love which will hold us in him uh, for eternity, right? What else does love bind us in? Okay, it unifies. What other type of relationship? You're missing one. You said it binds us one another, binds us to God, and where else do you see love as a binding agent? In marriage, yeah. In marriage and within family, right? Love is a, love is a binding agent in, in our homes as well. And then he's going to go into, in verse 15 and 16, the, the let's, and this is interesting because these are things that, listen, we cannot do these things. So the command is to let. So the first thing is, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And we noticed that, uh, that, by, that means that by nature, the peace of Christ is, is something that establishes rulership. So if we let the peace of Christ, it will rule. And, but the, the word let is important because that requires our action. Not our action to produce peace, but our action to allow peace to do what it by its nature does, and that's to rule in our hearts. You have to give the peace of Christ territory in your heart and in your life and in our relationships in order to rule. And here's the other one. This, we didn't get to spend too much time on these, but the other let is in verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So the word of Christ, obviously not just speaking of the scripture, this is not specific, specifically talking about the Bible, although that's included. This is talking about the, the spoken voice of God, the living and active voice uh, of God. It's let the word of Christ, and if we let the word of Christ, what does it do in us? It dwells in us richly. As we immerse ourselves in the word of Christ, if we allow uh, the Holy Spirit to do what he wants to do, then he will make the word of Christ dwell in us richly, where it will overflow and be the thing that, uh, that sustains us. So, so the, the word of Christ by nature dwells richly. And then we're to teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And it's this wonderful picture, uh, verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the Lord Jesus, in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So it's this wonderful corporate picture of what those who have been raised in Christ ought to look like in community. Everybody take a deep breath. That was the introduction. You good? So that's where the momentum is thus far. Uh, those take longer and longer the deeper we get into the book, right? You understand? So we're, we're uh, covering more ground. Everybody stand up. Yeah, y'all are wearing me out. I'm, I'm t everybody just rolled your eyes at me for making you stand up. That's why we're standing up. All right? Let's, let's get some, some movement here. Trunk twists. All right, we're about to get into the Word. We ought to be smiling and stretched out. I'm not going to make you put your hands over your head, but try to touch your toes. Oh, or just get halfway. Okay, that's all right. Nobody been... <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. It's all right. Okay. All right. Uh, get up on your tiptoes. Stay there for just a second. Come on. Come on, come on. Push your shoulders up high. Okay, sit down. There we go. All right, everybody sit down. Now look at me. Be in a good mood. Smile. Good grief. All right. <laughs> Y'all some angry churchgoers right now. I'm just saying. 
All right. So here we go. Now we're going to get into verse 18, and we're going to to see as far as we go. I would love to cover uh, the husband and wife children and parent relationships uh, today. That would, be, that would be a goal, okay? So now what he's going to do is he's going to take these, and he's getting more and more specific. So if we understand that one of, the, one of the main ways that the gospel is communicated is through relationship, right? So relationship with one another. What did Jesus say? They'll know you're my disciples if you We've talked about this. Yeah, if you love one another. So the way that we interact with one another, we're supposed to love God and then love one another, right? Love our neighbor as ourselves. So this is one of the main ways in which we are known as God's covenant people is by the way that we relate to one another. The, the primary way that you communicate the gospel is not just the way that you have a spirituality towards God, but is how does that spirituality, how does that relationship with God create a righteous practice in your relationships with one another? And it's those relationships that will most profoundly communicate the gospel. So it's no wonder that he says, okay, this is what it kind of corporately is supposed to look like. Put these things off. You shouldn't be known for these things. You should be known for these things. Put these things on. Clothe yourselves with these things. And then he's going to say, and then in these three categories of relationships, this is what it should look like. He's going to give specific instruction for three categories of relationships. And the first one is a husband and wife relationship. It's a marriage relationship. The second one is children and parents. And the third one is bond servants and um, and masters, and we can, again, we're going to get into that a little bit, but we can kind of broadly, and it's, it is a little bit dangerous to do this, but we can broadly understand that as working relationships, okay? Where there's authority in a social sphere, you understand? Now, that covers just about every relationship that any of us will ever be in, because he's already covered what it's to look like within the body of Christ, Right? And now he's going to say, okay, now in these specific categories, these specific categories are huge for us. Every one of you falls in one of these categories, if not multiple uh, categories here. Uh, most of you, well, all of you fall in the, the, the child category. We all do, everybody in the room. Many of us probably have some, uh, and I would even venture to say most of us, most all of us, have some social authority over us. Well, you may not be uh, quote-unquote working where you have a, a, a boss, but you, you, if you're going to school or wh- whatever, you're, whatever you're doing, you probably have some social authority. And then, and then some of us in the room, and, and many of us, are, are in, in a marriage covenant. And so this covers the, these main categories of relationship that we'll be in. And here's some things that he's going to say about those relationships. So we're going to cover husbands and wives and, uh, and children's and parents. Children's. <laughs> Children and parents. Uh, we're going to try to get through those this morning. Okay. Let's pray before we get into it. God, we, uh, we ask that you would uh, do what only you can do, which is by your spirit, would you reveal the truth of this word to us? These are, these are instructions about relationships. And, and the reality is that many of us have been uh, in situations where these relationships haven't, uh, maybe, maybe haven't been, uh, been good. Maybe they haven't been peaceful. Maybe they haven't reflected the gospel. Getting into the area of relationship is, is hard sometimes. It requires self-reflection. It requires some, some analysis about ourselves that sometimes 
sometimes is hard to do. But we just ask that by your spirit that you would empower us to, uh, to see the, 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 uh, the ideal that you have set up for these relationships. Could we, could we just get a glimpse of how you've intended these relationships to glorify you? And, uh, and God, then would you by your spirit just empower us to be people who live in these relationships uh, the way that we should as people who have been raised to new life. We have the Holy Spirit in us. And so we just ask that in our lives, where these relationships are present, that we would be communicators uh, of the gospel in our submission to you. And so we just pray that you would bring understanding in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, here we go. Verse 18. We're gonna, I'm just, let me just read the, uh, until chapter 4, and then we'll, get, we'll break it down. So verse 18 of chapter 3. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward." You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Okay, so let's break it down. Let's begin uh, in verse 18. So the, verse, the, first two, uh, the first category is a husband and wife relationship. He's going to address uh, wives first, and he's going to say uh, this. He's going to say, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. So we know that we're obviously talking about wives in a marriage uh, covenant, marriage relationship, and he's going to give a command. He's going to give them an action. That action, that command is to submit. But it's to submit how? As is fitting in the Lord. So first of all, what in the world does that mean? One of the things that's really cool about this, uh, this section in this book is it kind of has a, a, parallel, uh, a parallel passage. And we're going to go there often, okay? So I want you to go ahead and put your finger in Ephesians chapter 5, okay? We're going we're gonna to read in Ephesians uh, alongside uh, what we're doing uh, here in, uh, in Colossians. So go ahead and go to Ephesians chapter 5, and let's just read that real quick so we can get a little, little perspective. Now, I'm not going to teach through Ephesians chapter 5, but I, we're going we're gonna to reference it as it gives us a fuller picture of what he's saying here. So it's almost, I mean, seriously, it's almost the exact same words in some places. Verse 22 of chapter 5, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. We're going to stop there. There's more uh, in in these uh, in all of these categories. We're going to stop there as we're just speaking about the wife right now. Let me put my marker there so I can get there a little faster. Okay, 
Let's, let's talk first about, I think, what becomes quickly the elephant in the room, uh, especially in our culture uh, now, when we begin to talk about order in relationships. When, when a wife is specifically addressed, when a male or a female is specifically addressed, really quickly, we kind of start to ask questions about, uh, we, we throw words around like, uh, like equality, value. These types of things become questions. What is he saying about then if wives are to submit to their husbands as is fitting to the Lord? How, what, what does that mean about the place of a wife, about the value uh, of a woman in the context uh, of the kingdom of God? Well, let's, let's first clarify that, okay? So I want to talk to you about what, what in the kingdom uh, is the difference between order and value. Okay, we talked about this a little bit. Uh, I guess it was a couple of weeks ago, and uh, yeah, it's been it's been two weeks ago. Go back to verse uh, eleven of chapter three. He's speaking about putting on the new self, about the kingdom of God, and he says, "Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all." And in all, in Galatians chapter 3, you would say this, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Here's the thing, we, and I'm going to restate this, I said it a few weeks ago, but in the kingdom, differences are not indicative of value. Okay, we, this, this is something that man has done. We take gender, we take race, we take socioeconomic status, we take level of education, we take all these designations, where you're from, what your background is, all these things, and we create value based on those categories. We create value based on those differences. The kingdom does not work that way. The value of man is stated very, 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 very simply that we are all created in the image of God and Christ at one time died for all the ungodly. The blood of Christ is shed for all humanity and the desire of God is that all would come to know him and be fully alive and restored in relationship with God. God does not designate value based on differences, but God did create differences. There are differences in the kingdom, but they do not de- designate value, okay? The, the, the differences that we each have, look around the room. Just in this room in Nacogdoches, Texas, there are massive differences. Uh, there, are, there are different experiences, different backgrounds, different races, different languages, right? We've got, we've got it all just in this room. It does not mean anything about value. However, God did create differences, part of the beauty of of the kingdom of God, the expression of the creativity of God, that difference for the kingdom is for the purpose of unity, okay? In the kingdom, differences are for the purpose of unity, which is strange because from the eyes of men, difference is for classification. It's not for unity, it's the opposite, right? But in the kingdom, differences are for the expression of unity in the body of Christ. So then what do we do with these commands of, okay, wives, submit to your husbands, How do we deal with that? What does that mean? Well, because there's not a value statement there, not saying wives who are lesser submit to your husbands, because we cannot, we're forbidden to read that as a value statement, what then is it? It's a statement of order. Now, what in the world does order matter in the kingdom? It's everything. The kingdom is a kingdom of order. How in the world could we we escape that uh, when we understand that the kingdom is governed by a thing called the Trinity. This entity of the Trinity is God. 
It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all co-equal, all God, yet uh, function in different order. We see that, that, that all things were made through Christ, right? That the Spirit of God hovered over the waters and that all things were made through Christ and, and this tandem, uh, or not tandem, but this, this conglomeration of the Trinity uh, spoke all things into existence. We see that the Son, while walking on the earth, what was his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane? What did he say? He said, I don't want to do this, God, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. What is he doing? He's submitting to kingdom order. This isn't a statement. He's not saying God and I am now no longer the son, but he's submitting in order because he is the son. This is a statement of of order. In the kingdom, order is necessary, but order does not speak of value. We have, to, we have to begin to receive this word because we, I think we really, really, really push back against order. We push back against it in our homes. Sometimes kind of this new generation of children growing up is like that children are going to be the parents and they're going to rule the, the home and order is kind of frowned upon and, 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 it's, and it's destructive. Children need order. There must be order in marriage relationships. There must be order in working relationships. There's order in the way that that we relate to one another. Paul, what are we studying? First Corinthians. Paul speaks in 12 and 13 about what? Order in the church. That there's a variety of gifts, but the same spirit, but there must be order. Here's how it works. It's not a statement of value. It's a statement of order. So then what are we to do with this wives submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord? Why would he make this statement of order? We have to hear this again. I know, I know I'm just probably uh, repeating a lot of the same stuff, but I really want us to understand it. That in the kingdom... Order comes from an already established unity and value. I want, you, I want to say it again. I want you to really hear that. In the kingdom, order comes from an already established unity and value. We have to read every one of these statements having already established the value of each individual in these categories. We can't read this statement of order and then from order understand value. It's already established in the kingdom. There's already an established value. There's already an established unity. And so within that value and unity, there's order. Does that make sense? So the idea, and we're going to get more in detail in it because the command of the husband is different than the command of the wife. So the wife is to submit uh, the husband. Uh, we, We read in the scriptures, this is wives respect your husbands. Husbands love your wives. This is about Uh, This is about order, having already understood the value of each. Okay, Um, Lindsay and I do, uh, I guess, kind of the nature of the beast when you're in college ministry. You guys uh, grow up and get married. And that happens sometimes, and that happens. There's, there's, seem, that seems to be pretty frequent. Uh, kind of at the end of end of college, you that yeah, that's that's a common transition period. So we find ourselves doing quite a bit of premarital counseling. There was a period of time, and and uh, I don't want to relive this ever again. But I think we did six. I, I did six weddings in five weeks, or eight, or eight weeks. It was it was. It was insane. I feel like I was just the wedding guy. Like that's just wedding. Next weekend, sleep wedding. <laughs> you know, sleep wedding. <laughs> it was crazy. So because of that, we do a lot of premarital counseling. One of the things that we really, really, really stress in our premarital counseling is the understanding of identity for each individual person. 
why do we talk about that? You're about to get married. You're about to be together. You're about to be one flesh. Why is it important that you know who you are and your value in Christ and your identity in Christ before this marriage? Because a, a marriage doesn't function really, really, really well when each person's identity is held in the other person. Each person, in order for order to work well, there already needs to be established a functioning understanding of who I am in Christ, my value to the Lord, and who I am regardless of this marriage relationship. If I were to step completely away from this marriage relationship, what, what does my identity look like apart from this individual? We really stress that. Not that that can't happen in marriage. It's just so much healthier when it happens before. And it's not always a complete process. We're always still kind of learning our identity in in Christ. But having an understanding of your value and who you are in Christ before marriage is key because then you're going to have to receive commands like submit and love. Both of these things are giving things. And if those are things that those commands create value to you, if you say submit, well, why submit? That's value. If you don't already have value established, submit is going to be impossible. If you don't already have value established, love in the right way, love that's not love expressed the way that I want it, love that's a serving love is going to be impossible without an already established value and understanding uh, of who we are in the kingdom. So what does this word mean? Submit. Submit, the root word of the word submit means to duck. That's what submit means. Get out of the way. <laughs> Sounded harsh. If I were to, if I were to throw something at, at, at Jamarcus to, to Emily, then if he, to submit, what would he do? Yeah, get out of the way. Let her receive what's coming to her. Why, now, so why is this the first command? Because in the kingdom... God has designated that, what do we read in the, in the, book, of, uh, in the book of Ephesians? That, the, that Christ, just as Christ is the head of the church, that man is the lead and head of the wife. This is a beautiful picture that Paul will later tell us. This is this marriage covenant thing that you're doing on the earth between man and woman. It's actually a picture of Christ. And where do we come from? Where is the origin of the bride? It's from in him. And so this is all speaking about who Christ is to the church. And this is the, this is the picture, and it's why God establishes this order of the husband is the lead and the wife is to, uh, is to submit. So what does that mean, ladies? It means in order to, uh, to let him lead, there has to be an environment of respect and submission. Why? Because what are you getting out of the way of? If it's submit, what are you getting out of the way of? Don't stand between him and God. (laughs) If God has called the man to lead in the covenant of marriage, then what does God have to be able to do with that man? He has to be able to deal with him. He has to be able to create discipline. He has to be able to create intimacy with that man in order for that man to be a well-equipped leader. And you know what? Sometimes, sometimes that means that that man needs to receive consequences. And ladies, if you don't get out of the way, what what happens when you you try to step in front of the man, and maybe it's because he's not doing a good job. And to every man, we would say, amen. There are days and moments and months and weeks and sometimes long periods of time where we fail as leaders. But as we're failing, as we fall short as leaders, it is vital that in that falling short, we don't meet you, we meet God. 
Because God is the one that has to change and reshape our heart. God is the one that has to be able to bring discipline and consequences and show us who we are to be in Him. And if God doesn't change our heart because you're standing in the way and just making up for our shortcomings, then we won't actually ever receive the discipline that we're owed and we will continue to be thwarted in our attempt to be the leader. It will st- we'll kind of be stuck. So submit. Get out of the way. It's not a negative term. It's not a term of value. It's allow the man to be in intimate relationship with God so that he can function in proper order and lead the family. And that also means in his weakness. Now, some would say, well, whoa, 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 whoa. Is this absolute? You're talking about in his weakness, in his failure. Is this an absolute submission? What about in situations of of physical abuse? Is that what that means, that I'm to absolutely submit, that that women are just to, to be a doormat? Absolutely not. The only, the only total and complete submission that is mandated in the scripture is to whom? <laughs> whom? <laughs> to whom? <laughs> that, that came out kind of garbled, didn't it? To whom? <laughs> what is the only mandated, full and complete, no questions asked submission? To God. No questions asked. Every one of us, we are to submit fully and completely with no questions asked to God. Now, I don't mean you can't ask God questions. I just mean submission to him is not a question. Why? Because he's perfect. He can be trusted 100% of the time. He will never abuse power. He will never abuse authority. God is perfect in love and his expression of that love is perfect and so he says submit no questions asked submit always submit 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 well sometimes as humans we we abuse power and we abuse authority and so i'm not going to stand here and say that this is speaking of total and complete and full submission regardless of the circumstances i would absolutely say and i and i believe with a plethora of scripture to back it that when that submission pulls into sin the participation in sin or being a victim of sin then i think that there is an absolute right to stop that submission i do not believe that that's a command to 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 stay submitted where there's abuse in the relationship right it's not what this is speaking of and i know that some of you have seen that maybe have experienced that maybe even are are in that and you read these words of the scripture and you go how could he command submission in that way and the only full and complete submission is to the lord but what he does say is this submit to your husbands as is fitting in the lord so ladies we kind of railed on the men a little bit but here's what this does not mean okay this does not mean when it says as fitting to the lord it doesn't mean as if the husband was god Sometimes I think we read that and we go, okay, submit to him like he's God. That creates an absolute submission that, again, nobody else gets that territory in our life. Even in a good relationship, if you were to submit to your husband as if he was God, what does the Bible call that? Idolatry. Because he's not God. The foundation of our faith is that God is God and he is God alone. He is one and he is alone. The the minute that any man or thing or whatever takes his place, it becomes idolatry. And that is not what it means. It also doesn't mean only if he's doing what the Lord wants. We read read that as well. It's only as fitting to the Lord. So if he's doing a good job, then I'll submit. Well, we just covered that. Now, again, obviously, as that crosses the line into sin, I'm not talking about that. But when it just comes to our failures and we fail often, that doesn't mean that your submission is contingent on our failures. That's not respect. 
That's not seeing the value, uh, uh, that's not seeing the position, the order that God has given us in the headship of the family. It means, so when it says, as is fitting to the Lord, it means you submit to your husbands as an act of service and worship to the Lord. It is one of the ways that God has given wives the expression of worship to the Lord. It is a way of saying yes to God, as is fitting to the Lord. This is what God has called me into, and one of the ways I glorify Him is by submitting. And when I submit, I boost and lift up my husband. I press him into the Lord. The effects, the positive effects in the kingdom of a submissive wife are insane. Again, it does not mean that she has lesser value, but she glorifies God as she submits. She lifts up and presses her husband into the Lord, who in turn knows the Lord in a deeper way and then leads his family more profoundly in service to the Lord. This is an act of service and worship. Again, the only complete and total submission that the scripture requires is to God. So ladies, uh, especially you younger ladies, I want to just ask you, as you... uh, pursue relationships, maybe as you're in relationships, I think it's an important question that you ask, is this a man that I can respect? That's the command that you have in the scripture. Not is this a man that you can flirt with? Not is this a man that you could look with, look at until he's 50? You know, I think he'll probably look okay until he's, you know, and I guess we probably all start going downhill at some point, but right? That's, these are not the questions. Not will he make me laugh for long enough? Not will he take me on great dates for long is this a man that for a lifetime, regardless, in sickness and in health, you will, you will stand before God as you say those words, is this a man that I can respect? And, uh, and, I, th- and I, I think you'll find that that, that question is, uh, is pretty profound as you search the heart of the Lord and ask him those questions. Okay, husbands. It says that we're to, in verse 19, husbands, oh, my stars, it's 1030. Oh, wow. Okay. Why'd you guys make Shiloh tell jokes for so long? <laughs> okay. Um, let's see. Let's think. Anybody got a coin? Flip a coin and see if I can. I'm just kidding. Okay, let's, let's go fast. And then I'm going to come back to this next week. Fair? I'm going to just. Okay. All right. We're going to just try. Okay. Ephesians 5. So it says, um, go to Ephesians 5. Quick. Quick, 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 quick. Okay. Look at verse, uh, look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. Now, here's the deal. There's, there's a command twice. So in Colossians, what are we supposed to do? Love your wives and don't be harsh with them. Here's, again, Ephesians 5, love your wives. But this is where I love Ephesians uh, be read alongside Colossians because we're going to get an example. Love your wives as. So we have a perfect picture of how we are to love our wives. It doesn't just say love your wives and you define what that looks like. It says love your wives as Christ loved the church. And what was the action of Christ loving the church? And gave himself up for her. That he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. 
For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. And then he's going to say, therefore, a man should leave his father and mother. This is then this our typical kind of marriage talk. But guys, listen, there's a detailed expression of what loving your wives is to be. I want to go back into that next week, but I want to just kind of give, give you an idea. So we, we got a picture, and I think that picture really speaks well for itself. I'm going to teach on it next week, but the picture is as Christ loved the church, that he nourished her, that he cherished her, and it was for what? That he would present her as holy and blameless, right? So the, the, the way that Christ serves the church is, or sorry, the way that Christ loves the church is by serving the church, in order that he might present her holy and blameless and without spot. And the way that husbands are to love their wives is for a presentation. And here's what I mean by that. that the, the, as the husband loves his wife, it's, a, it's my goal, if I'm leading my family in submission to Christ and loving Lindsay the way that Christ loves the church, is that I will be pushing her on ahead and my servant leadership of her will allow her to come into the fullest expression of who she is in Christ. My leadership will allow that to come to fruition. If I'm leading well, it will encourage her to be everything that God has called her to be because I'm, uh, my leadership is presenting her as who Christ has called her to be and that's the way I serve her and love her in my leadership of her. So I want you to think about then what that looks like. Again, I'm going to go back and speak specifically to husbands because ladies, I can see you getting a little irritated. Like we've got a lot of time on submit there and you're just going to say it's like Christ and we're going on, right? No, but I want you to think about what this looks like. I want you to think about a relationship where a wife submits to that husband. Where a wife submits, now it doesn't say that the husband is faultless and it doesn't say that the wife is faultless, but where the heart of this family is where a wife submits to the husband in, get, in order that he might have deeper intimacy with God, that he might lead her well. And as he does, he submit, he's not submitting, he's serving her in the fullest expression of who she is in Christ. I want you to think about how that circle goes. You kind of think about the recycle, right? Think about how that relationship expresses itself to children. Think about how that relationship expresses itself to the church. Think about what that relationship says. Think about the health of that relationship where the, the respect and the submission of the wife serves as fuel for the husband to lead and serve his wife, right? It's not about him being better or greater. He's receiving that submission and that respect in order to say, and let me get behind you. Let me push you ahead. Let me make sure and see to it that as I serve you, you are who God has called you to be. And then she receives that and is and is beautiful in who God has called her to be and then submits more and gives more fuel. I mean, that's what we're talking about here. And does that sound familiar? It sounds a lot like our relationship with Christ, which is exactly what it's supposed to be a picture of. 
that the expression of Christ's love is that he would serve us in dying for our sin, filling us with the Spirit, and then in us, working in us and through us to be the fullest expression of who God has created us to be, that he serves us in that way. And as he serves us in that way and we grow more, what do we do? We love him more and we submit to him even more. The love of God is what brings our submission, not his control. You with me? And this is the cycle of Christ in the church, and it's the cycle of of marriage, and it's what God has set up. We're going to see this when we talk about children and parents. It's, It's that entity, that covenant marriage, that God has set up to bring blessing from generation to generation. We'll see that it's the first, when it says, children, honor your father and mother, obey your parents, it's the first uh, command with a blessing. And that blessing is so that your days may be long in the land. It's so that generation after generation there would be uh, fullness in the land that God has given us. And that's what this marriage is supposed to, uh, is, was, is supposed to reflect. So we're going to pick back up there. Um, and we may have to add a few weeks. Uh, but uh, my apologies. I thought I'd get through that fast. We're going to pick back up there next week. Uh, please, again, read the whole thing if you can. And, uh, and, and then I'll see you next week. Amen. See you.